Welcome to Loud and Curious with Krista Rosa. I am here with um, a very good friend of mine named Justin Herman. You can't see him waving, but he's waving. <laughs> um, Justin is a television producer, and more importantly, he is a stand-up comedian. My accountant would not prioritize it that way. Yeah. I disagree very much. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Copy that. Yep. Um, he actually led me to get my first job. It was not with him, but the, you are the reason that I first had a job in television production, so I am always will always be indebted to you for the rest of my life it's my my pleasure so you can hold that over my head whenever you want I absolutely will okay yeah. um so you outside of us working together in television you also um i don't want to say on the side because it is a very big part of your life it's not really like a side thing for you um you are a stand-up comedian it's true i mean i think about it as a freelance job in the same way i think of tv as a freelance job there are times where i take a couple months just to do stand-up in the same way that i'll take a job for three months but it is I mean, financially, you could argue it's on the side. It's on the side, yeah. <laughs> but but it is like, but it is a big thing of your life. It's not just a hobby. Like you do, you do, do actual shows. I've been to many of them, um, and you are actually. I consider you a real stand-up comedian because it's like you're not like, oh, I like really want to do stand-up. You actually do stand-up with legitimate comedians. Like one time, I went to your show and Janine Garuffalo <laughs> came on like right after you, and I fucking shit my pants. Yeah. Like you do with like real stand up comedians that are all amazing. Yeah, it's fun. I really like it. It's it's something uh I feel very fortunate that I'm uh creatively very interested in this thing, which I also actively very much like doing and I've Yeah. You know, for whatever whatever ways I pursue it, I've found ways to, to make it worth my time, I guess. Um I found ways to get on stage, which is the hardest part. That's yeah. not the hardest part. But it's challenging. Scary. It's hard. It's a lot. Um I mean there's all, anybody can go to an open mic. And then uh, if you're around long enough, you can start getting booked on some shows. But um, it's uh, it's something that I've I've pr- approached both with just uh, the passion of a hobby, something I want to do, mm-hmm. and with kind of a very meticulous approach to trying to get better at it and trying to get on stage in interesting ways. People say that like you shouldn't like if you want to really do comedy, like you don't like don't go to open mics. That's uh, something I've heard. Do uh, you disagree? You have heard incorrectly, sir. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, I mean, there's a million types of comedy. It depends what kind of comedy you're talking about. Open mics for stand-up comedy I, are absolutely crucial. Uh, anybody that just starts... I had a guy come up to me once at a show, uh, and he said, hey, man, people keep telling me I should do this thing. How do I get booked on a show? And I said, uh, you don't. You go to open mics. You work on your craft, you work on writing, you work on finding what your voice is, you work on writing a, a joke that will work out loud that you can yourself deliver to an audience that will then laugh. And that's hard. And then you got to do that again and again until your time is up on stage. That's even harder. Yeah. So you have to learn how to do this. Uh, and nobody wants to book you on a show when you've never done it before. Um, so you have to go to open mics. And he said to me... Uh, Okay, what do like do like two mics and then someone will book me? And you're like, no. And this conversation was over. Mm-hmm. That was how it ended. I was like, you're good luck, because uh, <laughs> y- you have to figure this stuff out. Yeah. And if you you this guy was obviously uh, had an arrogance about him, and Godspeed, it's probably working out fine, uh, and everything else he does. But it would f- you would fail miserably in this because 
It's hard. And there's nothing you can do that's exactly like this. You can't practice stand-up comedy without an audience. Yeah. Um, and open mics give you an audience that aren't always great, that are hard and difficult, but it's how you become part of a community of stand-up comics. It's how you meet other people. Uh, it's the trenches of comedy yeah. when you start out at least. And then there are different tiers of comedy. There's uh, when you first start open mics, that's where you start. And for years, you go to open mics to work out new stuff, and then you get booked on shows. And slowly, you learn to test new material at shows more and more and more um, until you get to a point where bar shows become your open mics, and then the clubs become yeah. uh, your real shows. And then you you know if you keep moving up, you become Louis C.K., and the comedy cellar, the greatest venue in the world, is your open mic. Yeah. And your real shows are Madison Square Garden. So, But there's always these kind of layers in which you work your way up. But open mics are crucial for Yeah, up. okay. What um okay so I want to rewind before Please. we go f- too much into it. So you grew up here? No, you I know that I know this and I can't remember. <laughs> I and, grew up uh, upstate. I grew up outside okay. of Albany. Yeah, yeah. So you grew up outside of Albany, and then you went where? Didn't you come here? No, you went to Penn State. I went to Penn State University. So did I. Yeah. And then you did what? Uh, did you like comedy at this point? Like, when did you first start getting into comedy? Were you a child? Were you a teenager? Were you college-aged? As far back as I can remember, everything that I've done creatively, when I have the choice of what the voice is, the voice has been comedy. Okay. Everything. So I wrote a children's book in school, uh, and I made it a comedy. I I would do sketches outside. I did musical theater. When I would do sketches involved with my musical theater program, it would always be comedy. Everything I did was in that yeah, voice. Yeah, got it. Um, and then we went, I went to film school. Everything I did was, was comedy. a comedy. And so, thank God. Oh, and uh, I like, oh, yeah. Can we talk? Wait, I, I like <laughs> really quickly, please. If you're in film school, everyone listening, probably no one. But Most important ev- advice everyone, you're gonna get. Everyone listening, if you're in film school, and especially if you are a straight white male. Don't do a drama that's five minutes. Don't do a drama that's five minutes. Because guess what? No one that's acting in your film is a good actor. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm speaking of myself, mm-hmm. like in many of situa- many sure. a situation. They're not, you're, they're not good actors. Don't, don't. Do a comedy. Do something that's like remotely t- trying to be funny. Not even a funny comedy, but do something I... Wanted to fucking kill myself every time one of my classmates would be like, "This is like a drama, and there's like shooting, and like, and I'm like, what the fuck do you think you're doing?" If I could modulate your response, okay, uh, I would say, just don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's really the lesson. Because if you want to do drama, sure, but don't do the story about the priest who became a priest because he raped and murdered a village, and now was trying to repent and to God. Yes, yeah, uh, don't do that. There's three of them in my senior. Th- film class uh it's it's too much i don't think you have to try to be funny in fact get out of my way that's my thing stop taking my thing but uh don't take yourself so seriously and you'll be better film school to me is all about failing in a vacuum so ultimately if you're gonna be an over overconfident pretentious idiot do it in film school but when you fail uh, recognize that you fail is it a good but like it's uh, sometimes it's not a good place because no one's gonna be like that was shitty they're gonna be like well this is what you could do better and then they're like i'm amazing well then they should show it to me and i don't I will know tell them. i just like oh god yes. that was just so bad anyway so you're Horrible. yeah we're at least we're we're on the same page there yes anyway continue so you so y- everything you did was comedic yep. you always had that like bone in your body even though it was not stand up mm-hmm. oh, i did one serious film i'll tell you my one that's fine serious abstract you're allowed to have film. one okay uh, tell me because <laughs> i think you'll like it uh 
I, as you know, when I was in high school, I was a, uh, I was a hip hop and break dancer. That yes, was my I first love, love that about you. creative uh, pursuit, I guess. And I did it. I took it very seriously. I started my high school's first break dance club. I made an official club, uh, which just tells you how suburban I grew up. Yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we, we were called the, the suburban break dance crew. That was our crew name. Amazing. Crew spelled with a K. That's not great. Ooh, not a great, yes. that's one third Ooh. of the way to KKK. No, that's like not a strong time. choice. <laughs> but I feel like at the time it was like. No, it was, it was. It was a strong effort. Like, it was my film school of naming breakdance clubs. Copy that. And so when I got to college, oh, yes. I joined the Penn State. There's a breakdance club. I joined a hip-hop company called Whiplash. And then uh, during my f- after my first semester, I separated and dislocated my shoulders, snowboarding and then breakdancing within a couple months of each other. That sounds very painful. And I was out. And that pretty much ended my... Were you, like in the ho- were you like in the hospital? Was it like really bad? It was really bad, but I didn't see a doctor uh, because I'm dumb. That's very smart of you. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I was hurt. I couldn't use my left arm for about a month before <gasps> I saw a doctor. Like I, what? I had to have someone take my shirts off and I was changing my clothes because I couldn't lift my arm. Uh, I just thought I bruised it really bad and then I just got complacent, I guess. I grew up with a da- my dad's a doctor, and my dad spent my whole childhood telling me that it stopped being like, such a wuss. Yeah, like it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Oh, but I always God. took that as medical advice, and not just and a dad not just being like a dad. your dad yeah. being like you're fine, like <laughs> shake it off. <laughs> yes, like you didn't dr- like you fell down and you were fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay, so you okay, so you injured yourself, and so you could no longer do. Which like right very soon after I met you, you injured yourself again, and I like, couldn't work out for like. Year a half. long, a year yeah, and yeah. a half, and I like asked about if you were okay all the time, and you were like, "Get him better." Yeah. So this is very like a trend for you. I have two. I have yeah. I have two substantive like year plus injuries in my life, uh, and they both came at a time where I was making a big transition. The first one was when I took my I took my first film class two weeks after I separated my shoulder, and I was so I worked forty hours a week at dancing. That was what I, I trained. I I, 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 yeah. know, I rehearsed, and uh, so when I was hurt, I didn't want to waste that time. With, uh, drinking and drugs and I still drank and did drugs but I didn't want to waste my time yes uh, doing that more being not productive exactly. yeah, yeah and film became everything, my thing everything in moderation yes indeed yes um so you did film. So yeah. So the one, but the one, the, the circle back. The one serious thing that I made was an abstract project, and it was about my shoulder injury. And it was me deteriorating in an app. There was no dialogue. It was just shots of me being athletic, and then being injured, and then sinking into the couch, and just and just like I was basically me withering. And it literally ended with a flower on fire. <laughs> Okay. So let me reiterate, film school is meant to fail no, in a but vacuum. Like that at least at least what you're telling me is like something that is based off of an actual experience that you've had. True. It was me trying to emote cinematic. And it was in like abstract I'm assuming yeah. it was like in like um experimental class. It was exactly. Yeah, so yeah. like that to me is an acceptable film. <laughs> versus like that, what we to were me, talking about earlier. Will never be an acceptable film. But I, I appreciate the uh, that's amazing yes. can you send it to me <laughs> if like, I, can find I need it. to see that i would love to watch that again um that's amazing yep. so you so oh everything is everything was comedic yep. other than your the My flower one. on fire yes. film i would just title it flower on fire it's a great title um using it and then and then what happens uh i moved to australia for a year because my father your father lives to. there yes yep. Um, and and then I moved to New York. Is and your father is Australian? He's not Australian. My, my dad's from the Bronx. My yes. dad is a Jew from the, yeah, from see, the I Bronx. Knew that. See, yeah. that's why I thought you were from here. It's, but it's confu- so, it's a confusing okay. narrative. No, 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 but so but he moves to Australia. Like, he yeah. moved to Australia when I was in college. Yeah, whenever you were in college, 
And then, okay, so you go live with him for a year in Australia. Yeah, I lived in. I spent my last semester of, of university in Australia. I, tr- I basically university. Went there. I, that's what they call university in Australia. Yeah, I'm trying to be regionally accurate. Yeah, here, okay, copy that. So you, <laughs> yeah, um, so you. I finished school. Okay, so Australia, you finished school in Australia, and then I just stayed for a while. Copy. Yeah, so, with your dad. Which yes, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah, and I had nowhere else to be. Yeah. And, your uh, mom lives here. My mom lives in Manhattan. Uh, but when I moved to New York, my mom lives in a studio, like a loft. Yeah. And my mom, my stepfather is one of these artists that have been living in the same rent-controlled loft in Soho for 40 years. Yeah. So it's kind of an epic New York story. Into Amazing. Itself. But I was not going to go and live with my mom in a room with in, a, in an apartment with in like doors. one room. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Like but, like you and your mom in your bed in bed together. Indeed. Like sleep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just yeah, yeah. Head to toe. Your mom, which by the way, comes to almost every single one of your stand-up She's, shows. Almost too supportive. And sits in the front row and like louds, laughs almost as loud as me, but not <laughs> as loud as me, which is like, I'm like, bitch, like you're, you're trying. <laughs> but like, she is amazing and she's so supportive of you and it's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's the, great. She's the best. She like, she, she tries to rally troops to shows. And oh, she brings like all her friends. Yeah, she's great. And, and she's, she's like so pretty. And I'm like, wow, your mom is so gorgeous. Yep. And she's amazing. She's shout out to your mom. Cause she's yeah, great. She deserves it. Yeah. Um, so you go, so you come back here, you live in Australia for a year. Were you doing comedy there? Were nope. you nothing? No. Nope. Um, I didn't know. I think in my early twenties, uh, I don't think I had the confidence or, uh, or the concept of making money doing comedy. Uh, I didn't think it was a realistic yeah. goal. Okay. I, I didn't know how to work in TV either. I didn't know anything about anything. I was kind of, a, a just a lost puppy just taking swings. Um, so I moved to New York and I just started applying to stuff, internships, PA jobs. I, I uh, I kind of wanted to figure out what I wanted to do by figuring out what I didn't want to do. Yeah. It was the only way I knew how to like narrow things down. So I tried to take crew jobs, which never became my thing. I And eventually, after about a year of getting consistent work, working on a dance tour, being a break dancer paid off, I got a job work, traveling around the country, um, being a video director for like a dance tour, dance convention, part class, part Well, that's good. Like That's like a melding of your two it, things. It, yeah. felt, it felt like a, a really interesting transitionary yeah. moment in my life. It did, um, bringing all my interests together. And uh, after my first year of doing that, I did that for two seasons. Uh, I made my own travel show pilot with a buddy of mine from film school uh, and uh, named Yaniv Aronson. Uh, and he and I made a comedy travel show pilot where we traveled around like budget travelers and gave bad com- comedic tips and went on weird, wacky adventures. Yeah. And it was fine. Uh I actually feel like we successfully we did we completed it we made the whole did thing. Did you feel did you feel like you learned so much from doing it? Oh, I, everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I can still reflect back to that today, working on a million dollar TV show, and be like, well, I did this on road trip, uh, and that's how I learned that this will work or won't work. Yeah. I can still reflect back to it. Everything you make has value. Everything you make can kind of come back. Um, so and it was great. And I think I edited it. I directed it. I I wrote it. Uh, we 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 kind of I shot a lot of it when I wasn't on camera. Um, we had a PA, we had a camera guy, a camera girl with us, and uh, but I took the reins on a lot of it, and yeah. and and uh, and he was my muse for sure. We I mean we created the whole thing together, but I cut it all here in New York. He lived in Philly, um, and it was a calling card, uh, and I used it to, and I got a job interview because of it. Uh, this executive producer wanted to meet me um, because she liked that I made my own thing. And she liked that I was well traveled. Uh, she never watched it, which was thank my God you're saying yep. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I ended up getting that's how I got my first job producing for TV. It was an international travel show. Yeah, I spent two years doing that. 
so at that point, so it did. So doing your own thing did actually pay off. Like rather than being like, because sometimes I won't lie. Sometimes whenever people are like, oh, I'm like gonna go make my own film. I'm like, okay, like bye. You know I, what I mean? I'm like, cool, dude. I, I mean, you know I, what I mean? Because like a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people say that and then they yep. go and then they don't even actually make it. Totally. It's and it's. Uh, listen, I won't. I'd be lying if I was like, I make. I made this so I could pitch myself as a producer. That was not. Yeah, like, not that was not thing. my you plan. You did it because you like thought I it was going to be fun. I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah. It seemed fun. Yeah. Why not? Uh, and and then after I made it, I figured out, you know, the small ways in which I could use it to market myself. Um, but I don't think I maximized that potential. Uh, and uh, but I did enough. I you know whatever I did, it was enough because it got me a job. And that's happened to me a couple times yeah. with independent stuff I've made. Um, but uh, after my first year doing that, I made another pilot with friends here in New York. It was a narrative comedy. Uh, we wrote it, we we cast it, all these things. Um, and uh, that did nothing for us except teach us a lot about ourselves. That's great. In the medium, beautiful. And then I made a web series a couple years later. Uh, and uh, again, it was all fun. comedic, right? All comedic. Yeah. Um, so comedy was always my thing. So more and more as the years went on, and once I started getting confidence that I could work in entertainment, that I actually belonged, and that this was a career path that could maybe one day pan out, um, which still took years of freelancing yes. in the world to even feel like that was possible, um, I realized uh, that I had to make a very conscious choice that I wasn't just going to take jobs because they were there, but I was going to go after the jobs that I wanted, and I had to figure out what those were. And I love making travel shows. I love exploring the world and teaching people about it. And I love making people laugh. Um, so it was after the world recession of uh, 2008 and 2009, I couldn't get a job. You know, the industry changed dramatically. Yeah. I had one credit producing an international travel show. I thought that meant something. Everybody else disagreed. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I literally went back to like PAing yeah. um, for almost a year and collecting unemployment. And it was that year that I had to go through that reflective process. What do I actually want to do? And comedy was very high on that list. Uh, so 2010, my plan was I either get a job in travel, I get a job in comedy, or I leave TV. And it fortunately worked out. And part of it was because of that web show. Um, I got that. We- I made that web show. I met an executive at Comedy Central at an event. I asked him if he'd watch it. Uh, and he did. And he didn't like it. Yeah. At all. At all. At all. But he wrote me a two-page email telling me why. Saying, like, this is why you suck. This is why this does not make me laugh. Yeah. Uh, Where did you, you – what event would this be? Like, what event was this? I you went – I can't remember what it was exactly, uh, but it was a Penn State-affiliated event. He was a Penn State alumni, and there were three panelists speaking. Uh, uh, this guy named, I think, uh, Don King was the director of SNL, still is. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, w- he came. When, when I was there, he, like, came and talked to our class. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice guy. Yeah, um, he was great. Very nice. Uh, 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 there's a woman who's in sports journalism, and then this gentleman who worked for Comedy Central was basically wearing. They were all in suits, and he was wearing like a graffiti T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like the Chris DeRosa of this panel. Oh, was he? He was the best. He's he was flamboyant. Oh my and god. Opinionated <laughs> and cursing, and then apologizing for cursing, but cursing. And I was like, I love this guy, and so I went up to him right afterwards. And uh, after he emailed me, told me how much he didn't like my web series, I wrote him right back, and I just said, "You're gonna be my mentor." That's what you said. That's what I said. You're going to be my mentor. Yep. Like, period. Yep. Send an email. Yep. And uh, sincerely, Justin Herman. Yep. I hope I wrote my name. That would have been smart. Uh, and what did he say? Uh, and he kept writing, responding to my emails. Yeah. And we we'd get coffee every three months or so. Uh, when I'd write to him, I did so strategically. I wouldn't just like. Be like, what's going conscious. on? Like, what's <laughs> just just like two gals so gabbing? Like, yeah, me or you. <laughs> like how I text you, and I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but the long story short is we became friends over the next year and a half. I yeah. really liked him. I really liked hearing his perspective on the industry. I never asked him for a job because it was honestly, I just wanted to get to know someone's life in comedy. Sometimes I feel like it's almost better that you don't work with the people that like mentor you. Like, yep. I feel like sometimes it's like, I don't need that. I, I'm wanting something more than just like, oh, get me work so I can get a paycheck. It's more like, I don't know. Well, relationships right? matter. I mean, that's, I think yeah. that's part of what, why the open mic culture matters in stand-up is because you spend years doing this in the trenches with these people, and as you all grow and you get better, people get booked for big jobs. They tour, and then they have to bring someone with them to open. And you know who they bring is people that they've spent years doing this with, their yeah. friends and their community. So it's not about making money off of every relationship immediately. It's about building relationships and figuring out yeah. who you want to work with. Well, which is why like, when you see – like. I feel like when you see these comics, when like one of them gets really famous, you then see like all of the people that that is like in there. I don't want to say their posse. That is so stupid. But like all the people that they hang with and the people that they quote unquote came up with, right. like all then start getting specials and getting like fam- just as famous as they are because yeah. it's like they're then able to elevate their friends yeah. or like elevate people that they think are like worthy of. For sure. Being I mean, elevated. people become elevated because somebody else notices. Yeah. That's how it happens. You have to be noticed. And someone has to know who you are for you to get noticed. Um, so that's why you don't burn bridges. That's why you don't talk shit about uh, people in your industry. Where they can hear you. Where they can, as long as they're out of earshot, then yeah. you're fine. But yeah. I mean, that's why I'm always the loudest person in the room. Because I'm like, <laughs> no one's going to forget me. <laughs> it's working. I wish I was joking. Yeah, like That's ex- exactly my plan and strategy every time. Yep. Um, so, so you... Have so now you have this mentor that works for com- works at Comedy Central. Yeah. You and you're still not doing like stand up comedy nope. at this point. So this is 2010. Okay, uh, I'm approximately 28 years old, um, maybe 27. And he, after about a year and a half of friendship, he asked me if I wanted to try a, a project with him, and he asked me to write 15 promos, basically with like one joke per 15 second promo, and I wrote 30. And then he has me, then he hired he hired me to write these. He hired yeah. me to edit them together. Uh, and they loved what we did, and so that's how I got my first writing job with Comedy Central. And I ended up working with him there on and off for years. Yeah, um, I remember when I first met you. You like that's what you said. Like I do a lot of yep a lot of promo for. So basically, like when a comedy movie would be coming out, they would you would be doing like they'd cross promote it with Comedy like, Central. Yeah, it would be like the. Right before your commercial break or right after the commercial break, mm-hmm. they would be showing you like it would be showing you like the the stars of this movie, like Tina Fey and Paul Rudd are going to sit down and they're like having fun. They're like laughing and they're, they have jokes or they do whatever. Right. And it's you. You were doing that kind of right. That's that's what yeah. it was. Correct. It was 15 second, 30 second, 60 second spots in, uh, cross promoting new movies, blockbuster movies coming out with Comedy Central shows. Yeah. Um, and so I got to write a lot of jokes. Uh uh, sometimes I get to write full-blown sketches that we would do. I, I end up shot, shooting a ton of stuff with them also mm-hmm. through my production company. So um, we'd write these sketches or whatever they were, and then we'd shoot them um, with like the stars of the movies or with cast we'd, we'd, we'd hire. And so fun. Still some of my favorite stuff to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was a big turning point for me in, in having some sort of confidence as me, Mike, in my own comedic voice. And you're like, I could be funny. Because I knew, I always knew I could be funny. I knew it was funny, but I, uh, I think I've always been dwarfed by the size and scale of the best of the best. I think everyone can be funny. Is that weird? I might just be too nice, but like every time I go to one of your shows or just like any comedy show, like most of the people make me laugh. <laughs> like, well, that's but that's I mean, at a comedy show, that's what's supposed to happen. Like I'm not like I never. I feel like I very seldom am like. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, I don't think most people are funny. I think I think anybody can be funny. Yeah. I don't think anybody can be funny on a high level. I don't think anybody can be a stand-up. I guess I also think that like my standards are very low. <laughs> like I'm not there to be like judging their like form. I'm you know, just like, you, oh, that was funny. You were complimenting my comedy, and I felt really good about it like five minutes ago. I do. I laugh at all the time. <laughs> I think it's funny. Yeah, but you just put the bar basically no, on the No, but ground. I'm saying – no, I know, but it's just like – I don't know. I just think – I like love when people are funny, and I think that I – Often I'm doing stand up like f- to the room <laughs> when I'm just standing in a room. You stick. And like, so like, it's not that I, I don't know. I think that I just, I think a lot of people are funny, but I do think you're very funny. I Is that you. better? I'll take the very. Um, But so you, what were we talking about? We so <laughs> we were, uh, I was starting to work professionally as a comedy okay. writer. Um, and I did that for years, not with com- just with Comedy Central, but I started writing i started doing improv at this point um through ucb and through another school and i started writing uh and working almost exclusively in comedy i started writing a comedy fishing show for animal planet which i did a bunch of seasons for amazing um what was that called off the hook <laughs> extreme catches how great was that brilliant Wait, ho- comedy fishing show so what would do they do fish hosted- and then and then they would make jo- they would be making jokes in the in the boat while they were fishing is it that what it was it was hosted by a professional wrestler named showtime eric young he's you can watch him wrestle now. Aware He's of fantastic. Yeah, uh, and he—it uh, was an extreme adventure fishing show. So he'd go out and find the craziest ways people were fishing, like like the catfish, the hand catfish yeah, like, stuff, like, the like, the like cat, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, like you know, he he went fishing with a guy that built cannons to shoot bait out from the like shore, spears and stuff. There's, yeah, there's guys that made boats that are literally built to jump over rocks and stuff. So yeah. they go chasing. They, into so they the could dip. like get yeah, yeah. I That's mean, insane, epic. Mako yeah. sharks and everything. It was crazy. Yeah, and he was a he was fantastic. And most importantly, he was funny, and he was a very he had a very uh, defined. He's a very defined sense of humor. Uh, as himself, as like a, he plays almost a character of himself, and so he because he was so funny, they tried to write write around that comedically. And so what we ended up doing is I would create sometimes just the voiceover and sometimes taking the cue that he would do in scene, but create like elaborate comedic scenarios. And yeah, um, it was very very goofy and very fun, and I loved working on that show. Um, and then I went from there. I ended up. Uh, 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 directing and producing a health and wellness comedy show that uh, I worked on that everybody in the world should probably know. Chris, uh, Chris DeRosa was heart and soul of the dose with Dr. Billy. I had a very brief run. <laughs> we, that was like, I, you had given my, you gave my name to someone that then gave it to, um, Kristen Carnaza, who ended up becoming my roommate. And mm-hmm. I still live in the apartment that we lived in together today. Mm-hmm. And, and, Right after I did Food Network show and Food Network show and Food Network show with her. And then like right after that, it was like nothing. And I reached out to you and you were like, oh, we're actually like I'm like working at this company and we're actually going to be doing a new show. And it was like I remember that being the first winter that I lived in New York. And it was like we were we shot like all winter, but it was like very sporadic. And I remember that being like the only show that I would work on. Mm -hmm. And I was like, am I like. Because it was just like a couple days a week, so it wasn't like a full. wasn't like I was getting like a weekly paycheck. Sure. And so I remember being like, "Wow, like the winter is a tough time for kids <laughs> television." But yeah, so you started work. So you, so you, we had so much fun doing we had a, that we show. Had a first of all, great time with that. Great show. time. I mean, we had a great team, great. and uh, we had a blast. We had so much fun. We so did much fun. such fun things. It was a great thing to work on, and it also had, it was comedic. It wasn't a comedy. It was still nonfiction. It was still yeah. um, infotainment, but it was comedic and. Uh, I 
it was kind of creating that n- that niche for myself of being like the comedic guy in the nonfiction world, and I was doing all this short form comedy for Comedy Central, uh, and uh, and what I kind of realized around that point, um, it was partially because of our uh, executive producer, um, Ted Schillinger, uh, who used to do stand up comedy uh, uh, years and years ago back in Chicago, and he always he's always told me that he's like you should try it, you'd be great for it, yeah, and it always been in my mind. Uh, and I was starting to recognize that, to me, there was a ceiling of how good of a comedy writer I was at that point, because I was only doing it in these 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 you know comedy light mediums. They yeah. weren't they weren't they weren't the sketch show in Comedy Central. They weren't you know they weren't the the bigger ticket yeah. comedies that I really wanted to be a part of. Um, and so, to me, uh, the idea of stand up started floating in my head as a way to become a better comedy writer. Um, and uh, while we were doing the dose, uh, when I went to Tasmania, Australia, to visit my father. Remember that? To right? surprise him for his 60th birthday. I remember it. Where right? I literally yes. jumped out of a box on the other side of the world. Oh, my God. Uh, there are pictures uh, and video. Um, my dad, the next day, we threw him a surprise party, and he said, he kind of gave like a little speech, because that's how old people have surprise parties, I guess. I would give a speech. Sure. He, he, I mean... He, I had a... I, wait. <laughs> of course. You'd give a speech I, if somebody bought you breakfast. <laughs> do you understand that literally I was like... It was my last day at the company I'm at now, and I they got me a cake that said, you are trash on it, first of all, and... I gave a beautiful, eloquent speech, and then a week later, I got hired back to do a different show. And so I was like, hi. And they were like, wow, what a great, what an easy fucking way to get a t- cake. And I was like, I gave beautiful speeches. Like, fuck all of you. So I, yes, I, your father and I share that. You guys That quality, yes. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, but a part of his speech, he said, I have, he, my dad is, my dad found an amazing life on the other side of the world. Uh, yeah. He really did. I don't think I really knew my dad as a happy person until he moved to Australia, which is a long, complex story, but um, it really changed his life and for the better. It's an, it is an amazing uh, story. Uh, and he was talking a little bit about how grateful he was to have all these friends and to live in this place. And he basically was like, I have everything. I've done kind of everything. My dad was an Olympic caliber athlete and ran marathons, triathlons. He's a doctor. He had his MD, his PhD. I mean, the guy's got just this obnoxious checklist. Yeah, yeah, like so much stuff. And the only thing he's never done that he always wanted to try was stand-up comedy. And he was like, and I never did it. And he said that. My son should do it. Did Uh, he say you should do it? He just said he never... And I didn't, I didn't tell him this, I, but I heard that in my head. I said, as soon as I get back to New York, like I'm, a, I'm getting on stage. It's like, done. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. I did not know that that's how you... Wow. So I, it was... So you... Okay. Go was, ahead. No, it was a, it was a, a, bunch, of, a bunch of... Things all coming together. Coming together, yeah. Um, and uh, I literally got back to New York, and, I, and I, I signed up for a class, which you don't have to do, but can be valuable. And My friends at a class. Yeah. I feel like it would be good... I feel like it would be good. I feel like I would like to do a class if I would want to do stand up. Uh, listen, I it, to me, you know, I w- as a TV guy, you know, everything's format. You know, TV's yeah. all three act structure, six act structure, et cetera. It's, you know, there's 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 a lot of format to TV, too much format, I would argue, and uh, in some ways, and so I was very much a format guy, and I wanted to. I understood comedy, and I understood writing for comedy, and I understood stand up, but I wanted to learn the format. I wanted to learn the structure, and I wanted to watch people doing it in an educational way. So I bought books. I took this class. Like anything I could do to start uh, teaching myself the voice. You know, Dave, I think it was Dave Chappelle who described stand-up comedy as it's a language, um, and I couldn't agree with that more. And I, I didn't, I didn't use those words at the time, but that's how I thought about it. It's like, how do I learn Spanish um, as fast as possible? Yeah, and that's how I thought about stand-up. And so anything I could do that would teach me 
uh, those structural elements that I needed to know. You know, the the setup, the premise, the punchline, the tag. Uh, these were all terms and and ways in which to approach them and structure them. I was I wanted to learn it from a technical standpoint as much as I wanted to just do it. Um, and again, my interest was to become a better writer. I wasn't. I never ached to be a stand-up comic. Uh, I lo- I appreciated it. Uh, there was aspects about the culture of stand-up, its reputation as being kind of you know this kind of uh, miserable people, yeah, depressed sad. people. Yeah, sad. yeah. It's uh, I wasn't a big drinker by the time I started doing stand-up. I really I didn't I didn't identify with the, that aspect with of the it. rock star lifestyle, exactly. but like also not really like rock star lifestyle in the, in the fact that they all like are like fucking doing a bunch of drugs afterwards right like yeah i mean there's everything i know half half of my first group my half of my friends that stand up when i first started were all you know sober they were all aa sober yeah because i related more to them than i did to the people that were partying yeah um so it was uh so that so those i had my apprehensions about doing stand-up uh i didn't think i'd like it as much as i did and I, i i i started doing it and almost immediately i was obsessed um, the first week I got on stage and did an open mic, I did an open mic, uh, six days straight every day for six days. Um, I was, where did so I, you go? uh, I went to the village so lantern. You, you went where? Sorry. I stepped on you. That's okay. Uh, my first open mic was at the village lantern, which is a bar. Where on is that? Bleecker street. Got it. Um, is it, is, um, did you, so did you go with like material or did you go and just be like, I'm going to, Oh yeah. I feel like I would just wing it. No. Like, is that weird that yes. I would, and like ever, I feel like anyone that I talk to that's a legitimate comic, I'd be like, I just fucking get up there and start talking. But like, I feel like, <laughs> so like we call that, like, r- you're we- like, you're, you're like, you are so such a noob, like get mm-hmm. the fuck out of here. Right. Yep, yeah, definitely. But we call that writing on stage. People do that. But when you first start, uh, don't do that. Don't, don't do, do that. that. I, okay. mean, I mean, you can, so you feel can see what that Save, feels but, like. Yeah. But no, it's probably not going to work that well. Um, I feel like I could do it. I actually do feel like you could do it. I could do it. Uh, more successfully than other people. But when you say you're going to be funny. But don't do it. As a stand-up <laughs> comedian, that puts the bar. I think that's part of what always intimidated me about stand-up, too, is that when you have to say I'm going to do comedy in the hardest possible way, way yeah. that puts the bar really high and then you got to perform at a very yeah. high level. And that's why that doesn't work very well because you, anytime you trail off, if you're not tight, if you use extra words, yeah. like oh, you, people, you lose right. an audience. I do, ram- I do mumble a lot too. <laughs> like I ramble on. You're right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, I, so I wrote, so yeah. I, so you like had a thing. I wrote one, I wrote, I worked for a while on one story. Um, that I turned, in, you know, that I uh, that I put in as many jokes as I could, and I kept working on it. Um, and it was so I wrote a couple of jokes to do at the top, and then I did, basically told this story. Um, and um, it, my first open mic, it went well. Like it went, like I probably got like three laughs in five minutes, which to me was like a success. That's like, good. Afterwards, better people, than zero. People asked me how long I've been doing it afterwards, and to me, that was the victory. Is like they didn't know it was my first time. Nice. That's all that I needed. I just have to feel like I'm a step better than where I'm at. Do you remember where any of your jokes? I remember all of my jokes. Do you, tell me one of them. I'll tell you. So I don't want to be like, tell me your jo-, like. No, no, I would never but, answer that outside of this journalistic inquiry. Like, um, t- yeah, like what would or just explain? You don't have to like do the bit, but like explain what the joke was, which obviously makes it not funny because you're explaining a joke. But sure. Like, uh, you you do raise a really good point. I will say, don't ask comics to tell you a joke. I know that's we don't, stupid. We don't we don't we don't care. It's for just, that. no, but it's also the same thing as like when we work in television. They're like, well, what fucking show do you work on? Yeah, and you're like this show, and they're like, well, I don't watch that show, and I'm like, I didn't fucking ask you if you watch that. It's show. It's actually even worse than that. It's basically yeah. like I'm saying, oh well, make me a perform, TV show. Yeah. Like yeah, perform yeah. for me. 
Okay, but tell me like what your what was give me just you can just give me like the genre yeah, of comedy so, that it was. So the story, the first story I told, which you may have seen me have done on stage okay. uh subsequently, uh was the story of that time I accidentally went on a date with, with a, man a man in India. Yep. Yep. And ex- so you you were with this man. So this is a true story yes. about uh I was traveling alone in India and I met a very very flamboyant man who introduced himself by telling telling me his name his high caste and how much money he made yeah that was the he's first like, I'm thing a he straight said to me. baller he said he said my name is yeah. Rohit I'm a Brahmin and I make fifteen thousand dollars a month American selling software like you you trying yeah this is this is this is what I got and you were like oh hello like and he so I was obviously interested in meeting Local people. The best way to immerse yourself yes, in any absolutely. place is to get. To yeah, know and if he's like, "I'm balling," you're like, "Yeah, you are." Like, buy me a fucking yeah, drink at this bar. Let's do this. Get it. So, yeah. The next day was apparently <clears throat> his birthday, and so he was like, uh, so "I actually met him." I don't tell this part of the story because economy of of words and storytelling. But I met him uh, on a flight. We were sitting next to each other, and he insisted on sharing a cab, and he insisted on us going out to dinner because he was traveling for work. And the next day was yeah. his his birthday. Why not? Of yeah, and you're like, why not? I'll go out to dinner with you, yeah. And then weird things started happening. And then he was like, I l- let's bang. And you were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. But it was way subtler than that. Yeah, yeah, he Because was like, you can't, it was illegal to be gay in India. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, like nobody super was Super DL minus yeah. like very, times a million. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the signs were clear. It wasn't my first time being hit on by a man. Yeah. All of this stuff, uh, um, it was hard to, but it was hard to read. And my real reaction at first was, "Well, who am I to assume he's gay?" Yeah, and also like it's another country, yeah, like yeah. it's not their the different. Everybody yeah. rides on the yeah, back like, of someone else's motorcycle. Yeah. So what I'm Hop holding on. is waste. Come on. Hop on, why not have it? Like just have a whist away. Why yeah. not? But yeah, then you were like, "Oh wait, never mind." Like uh, it's exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah, it got. I got to the point where I would say, "Yo, man, chicks are awesome, right?" And he'd be like, like "I like your company more than that of my closest friends." And you I were like, and you were like, yeah, that's yeah. That. All right, well, yes, I have heard you t- tell that yeah. many a time, and it's yeah. very funny. Um, okay, so you, so that was one of your. Wow, okay, well, so that was the big story. One of your, yeah, that was one the, of your, that was yeah. the big first story I did on stage, and then I did a bunch of like meta jokes to get into it. Yeah, um, that I think are, that I still think are funny. But yeah, come on, Justin, you don't have, yeah, but you down. don't have to, but you don't have yeah, to, yeah. you don't, have, you don't have to perform. For <laughs> yeah. But yeah, okay, so I've heard you do that. I've heard you tell that story, and so then you're, so you're doing it. So you're doing open mics. You're like, you feel good about it. You're like, I feel. Like this wasn't a horrible disaster. Uh, feeling good and feeling like it wasn't a horrible disaster are very different things. I felt like I was not good at this form, um, based on open mics, and but I didn't feel like I was bad at it either. Okay, I could tell how much I had to learn. I think I've always thrived in my life, but being too dumb to know how bad I am at something because then I just because I just want to get better at things. So I'm almost blind to how bad I am when I start new things because I have a very strong tenacity to get good at them. Yeah. Um and I was so like I can look back and tell you how bad I was and I can I mean I don't I'm not a scholar at stand up now but uh I was um if I just and I can remember I would I would be so in my head when I started that if I could hear laughs in the background I was like oh I'm, I'm doing it something's working like I'm doing something right and I'd yeah. record every set and I'd always listen to it back and it's never gets less painful oh um, yeah never oh no when I would listen to like when I for a hundred percent when I would listen to myself I'd be like why didn't I say this there like what the fuck are you ask them this question like we I always would yeah 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 and that's listening to the sound of your own voice especially when you have a voice like mine is just like the worst thing in the entire world but yeah You're doing everyone great. hates but everyone hates the sound of their own voice it. but anyway continue it's very yeah. It's, uh, but I feel your pain yeah. every day. Great. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I wasn't. I my first show it took me. It took me five months to do a show, uh, and it was part of the class. It was at the Stand Comedy Club, so it was a cool venue to get to perform at, and it went well. Yeah, um, I've seen you do perform perform there. Yeah, yeah. I've been there many times since, and uh, and that was a. Uh, it was a very very warm room, very kind room. And uh, I had just enough. I had eight, I barely had eight minutes of material, which I had an eight-minute set. I literally wrote a minute-long set on the train on the way to the show, um, which I thought was, in retrospect, the ballsiest thing I could have ever done. I'd never done yeah. a show before, but I was just really I I just have had that adrenaline, and I and I liked this idea, and it worked. Um, and so all so the show went really well. It was people again. It was like my first mic. Like people were like, "How long you've been doing this yeah. for?" And I was like, first time." Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I didn't tell anybody that I lied and tried you to make like, them think oh, I was like a while. You know, very super, super, super cool about it. It's been like a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and I haven't stopped. I don't know. And then what happened? So like, so you did your first show and then you just continue to book shows, continue to do. No, nobody booked me. Um, the, again, that was a freebie. That was, I paid for that show. Oh, copy that. It was part oh, yeah, of the class. Yeah. So it took me, I would say I, so, uh, there were a couple there's these shows called bringer shows. Um, so that one of the ways you get on stage when you're a young comic is you do a bringer show, which is that the producer makes you bring an X number of people to yes. perform. And uh, so I did a couple of those over the next four months or so. I would try to do them maybe once a month or every other month because I recognized immediately the value of a real audience versus an open mic. What's important to know is that open mics in New York City are almost exclusively comics. It is very rare to have real I know audience. that's what people someone said that's why someone said like don't do open mics because like it's just all comics and none of them laugh at you. Yeah, they're miserable. Yeah, they're all like trying to like work. Like they're all like j- just as serious as you are doing it because they're all like trying to get their material and they don't want to like yeah. I mean you can you can you can overgeneralize uh and I think it's not wrong to overgeneralize because that's essentially what's yeah. happening. But that's what someone said to me. I mean, I yeah, don't know. No, and like, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of open mics where somebody, there's a list and there's an order and someone gets off stage. If, if you're lucky, they wait one person to go on after them just as a courtesy and then they just leave. And if you're last on the list, you're talking to just the host. Yeah. Um, and nobody cares even when they're all in the room. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mics that are supportive. There's a lot that aren't. Uh, it can be like any comedy show. It can be the whim of the energy of the room. Um, if there's a great host, it'll always be a better show. If it's a bad host, it'll always be a worse show. Yeah. Whether it's a mic or a show, so there's uh, a lot of variables. That's what's so academically interesting to me about stand-up is the number of variables that influence whether or not you succeed or fail. That can be out of your control, and then how do you try to control those things? I think that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, but uh, open mics can be miserable, and it's uh, hard, and it's hard to it's hard to kill at an open mic. Yeah, doesn't, it, doesn't it doesn't happen, happen. often. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so I recognized the value of a real audience and hearing laughter and being validated. And so to me, uh, those bringer shows, I knew that I could make a real audience laugh. Whether or not that made me good at stand-up, a bringer show audience is considered an easier audience than a paying, you know, than a regular paying audience that's coming out to a club on a Friday night or than a bar show audience where people don't know what they're expecting. So there's a lot of different types of audiences bringer shows are usually warmer than not because they've all come specifically to see to someone see you, which so, means yeah. that if somebody else does bad they worry about their friends so they want everyone to do well so they're instantly more supportive in yes, some ways absolutely um so but i did i did most of the time i did very well rel- relatively speaking to what my ability was um at bringer shows so i would try to do them every couple months to just to have some sort of validation for why am I doing this thing yeah. and, and going to these mics. So are you working in TV still yep. while you're doing this? So yep. you would just play, do like 
after work you would go to an open mic or exactly. like yeah if you had time obviously if you're in the office I feel like a lot of the shows that you do it's like you prep for a long time and then go shoot a little bit yeah it's right? um like, when, you, when I go on the road you know you take you take breaks like I did the getaway which was this travel show um yeah on the Esquire network where I did a you know a week and a half in Hawaii with Jack McBrayer I did a week and a half with Kyle McLaughlin in Napa shooting these kind of travel celebrity yeah, yeah, shows yeah. so you were off for them but then when you would come back to New York you could you would do the I'd go back to you would do shows yeah. yeah and I'd be trying to rework the jokes that I had and trying to write new jokes and figure out what a set would look like and uh it was hard it was it's super hard it's very it's, it's already the hardest thing in the world to, I think it's it's easily the hardest form of comedy stand-up comedy yeah um because you're all by yourself and you're there's nowhere to hide there's nowhere to hide there's all these variables again that you may not be able to control and you still are expected and to, like, even to if your shit's really funny like the, they just might not laugh I've watched incredible com- you know famous comedians get up in front of an audience and not make them laugh like once because a room can be that bad. Yeah. I mean, so like it's amazing how you can watch someone that you think is funny do a set and they do great. And you're like, that's the person. That's why I love that person. They're hilarious. They're amazing. And then the next day you watch them bomb in front of a shitty room. And you're like, and you're like wow, they're not that good. I mean, you can, it's easy yeah, to no, see how an audience no, can have that it's perspective. It's just like anything else is like when, if you watch a show and you love it and then everyone else is like, I fucking hated that show. It was so bad. You're yep. like, wait, what it's literally like, it's that and I'm in like, real wait, time was it bad yeah. and then you're like wait maybe this isn't good and then but then like a month later you're like wait no i love that show you know what i mean like it's yeah yeah it's it's group think playing out in real time yeah so no matter what you're you know like i i did it i bombed in atlantic city in january uh and uh it was a 10 minute set and uh, it was a packed packed room at 11 o'clock on a saturday night and there was a guy right in the front row who my first minute and a half did well, and then everything else was new stuff that I just rewritten that day that I knew I had to say because I had a huge show the next day. So I just had to do the work. Sometimes you just have to try. Yeah, the new and stuff. then like you have to like yeah, and you're like and oh this didn't suck work. it up. And then I I know I had to do it, and I had a, I was doing a headlining set the next night. I needed to know if these jokes sounded good coming out of my mouth in front of an audience, and I just watched. I got them at the beginning with a good with a solid opening joke, and then I just watched them slowly become more and more confused with what I had to say until yeah. they didn't get me at all. And there was one guy in the front who laughed the loudest at the first joke, and then he laughed less and less. And the whole set, he was smiling and nodding at me because he got it, but he wasn't willing to laugh out loud anymore because I lost the whole room so yeah. dramatically. Um, and uh, I don't regret the choices I made that night because it was, it, those jokes were good. And the next night, I got applause breaks for some of them because they were restructured in a way that I needed to say out loud. But that's part of the work. Sometimes you have to go on stage. It's not sometimes, often. You have to be willing to bomb to get better at this thing. Someone told me, I forget what I was listening to, but they were saying like, even like some really famous comedians, like people will be like, I saw them once and like they were not funny. And I like always think about this, that this, I forget who it was, but someone was like, yeah, like they're probably working out new material. Like if they're not funny, yeah. if they weren't funny, it's cause like they were doing what you're just saying right now. And it's like, they're just doing that at like a legitimate show. Yeah. I mean, I've again, I've seen, uh, uh, amazing comics that are on television, go to a crowd and, and, and a, not do a, well. a packed room yeah. in Jersey and nobody gets them. Cause they're like a social, they're like socially conscious comedians. And they're talking about, uh, things that are happening in the world that aren't about their dick and or butt and this room full of drunk dudes in jersey did not give a shit and they bombed and 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 it's very easy to be like oh that that person can't be good because i watched them fail once but that's stand-up isn't that it's it is a goldfish memory you have as a comic you gotta you gotta be a goldfish because audiences always are 
what does it feel like when it, to do to like when you bombed? Like, how did it feel? I mean, there's like it's obviously you're upset, right? I, I, the it's a it's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's never like cool. it doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, I mean, there are times that I've bombed where I've accepted it very easily. Yeah, um, and uh, there are times where uh, uh, it's hurt a lot. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure. I once, I mean, even Mike, even bombing in an open mic can be like so painful like i i couldn't get a room there's like eight guys in a room once and i couldn't get them to look me in the eye like i was like doing i was just trying to like play to this room it was already it was a bad room but i tried and because and i tried too hard this was early on so i didn't know what i was doing i was just doing my trusting my instinct and it was the wrong instinct but it it, it i literally couldn't do mics for days because like these like friends of mine wouldn't look me in the eye in that room because i was just bombing so hard and i didn't get yeah. it um but like there was the first one of the first bar shows I did. So, you know, I started off, I did a bunch of bringers over the course of a year so I could get on stage. And eventually I got a couple of people that would book me on their bar shows at like one in the morning. And it was a bar show where the entire audience is barked in. Barking is when guys stand on the streets in New York City. And they're like, and, come hey, on. Hey, free show, yeah, $4 yeah, beers. Like, come on, yeah. And that was, that's called barking. It's very common. And those are very hard audiences because they didn't know they were yeah, going to like, a comedy what show. The fuck is, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the first, and I still, I do tons of bark, barked in shows. Still, it's still definitely a part of my routine because it's great. It's stage time in front of real people. It's great. Yeah. Um, but you, they're a different type of audience. Uh, I didn't know any of that the first couple times I got on stage. But one of the first bar shows I did, it was like one thirty in the morning. There were eight people. Uh, I did an eight minute set, including the India story. And I, I could hear like chuckles and in the darkness, I could sort of see smiles, but it was a bomb in any, any language. It was not good. And I felt bad about it. And then, uh, but this is why I have, I try to have perspective on, on bombing because, uh, afterwards there were common cards and all the tables and somebody handed it to me because I was introduced as a writer for comedy central. That's how the host brought me up. And on the common card, somebody wrote, who did you come to see? They wrote comedy central guy. And then in the comments, they said he was hilarious. And uh, I, I just racked my brain to figure out how this could be sarcastic. Uh, when I couldn't find a reason that it was mocking me, I decided to accept the fact that you know, people were smiling. And you know what? Somebody might have really liked my yeah. set without laughing out loud. And that meant a lot to me. It meant so much to me that it's literally that card's hanging on the wall above your head right yeah. now. Oh, my God. There it is. There's a, there's a fir- first dollar bill. It's the first dollar bill that was ever stuffed in my pants during a set on stage. Amazing. Yeah. And then there's like some foreign money that I don't know what it is. It's my first European tour. Copy that. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It says, wait, let me read it. Hold on. <laughs> wait, I'm going to unplug this. Okay. Okay. Let me look. It says, name, Nur, and you are. Yep. I mean, good name. Comedian <laughs> you came to see, Comedy Central guy. Rate your experience. The options are excellent, great, good, fair, and poor. He wrote, he... Ex- excellent he or she he or she no, nerd. No. oh yeah i just assumed it was a man i'm sorry okay. hashtag patriarchy <laughs> um comments he was hilarious are you interested in comedy classes he said no he or she said no I, I take that as a sign of honesty uh yeah yeah so no, that, i'm not i'm not interested sure, yeah. i would say the same thing i feel like Understood. um he was wow yeah, so that's that, a great that's great so that to me like puts the bombing into perspective because you can i bombed there's no worry around that that was not a good set in that nobody really was laughing out loud yeah and uh they were tired and exhausted and been seeing two hours of comedy before me and uh, uh but i still bombed and yet they enjoyed it and 
that means something. That means that I, I learned a lot from that experience. And so I try to remember that there's always that guy with the mustache in the front row at Atlantic City nodding you on even though nobody else is laughing. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't make everybody happy. If you try to make everyone happy as a comic, then you're not talking about anything that matters. Yeah. And I think that comedy is an opportunity to talk about things that matter. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be talking about social issues and politics and but I think that what you choose to say is, there's the politics of identity and and, and, yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. you talk about as a person and in comedy especially when you have an audience your choices of what you choose to talk about are a political choice and when it comes to the politics of identity and I think it's important to keep that in mind when you tell jokes. Yeah. And so the fact that people are listening even when they're not laughing tells me that a lot of things that I have to remember when I do comedy. That's a really good story. Thanks, Bill. That's a good. That's like a good little lesson. If I, mean, I often say that if I didn't work in TV for as long as I did before I got into, if I wasn't had been working in entertainment for almost eight years when I got into stand up, I don't know if I would have lasted with it because yeah. entertainment is a is a there's a lot of failure and a lot of rejection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. I've had my dream shows canceled while I was shooting them, yep. and I've you know I've had a million things like that happen. I've had my heart broken. Um, so once I started getting into stand-up and I had a career in entertainment already, I could accept the fact that, you know what, I'm gonna, people are going to try to hurt me. Or not try, but I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. This is going to be a bummer for a while. Um, but I could accept it because I'd been through it. And because it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't my livelihood. I was, I'm very fortunate in that uh, I have a career outside of stand You weren't like linked to it for money. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that sometimes would be it makes it hard. It not makes great. It, it yeah. makes you, I mean, it, and so, it makes it your job and not like something you love doing. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, very, very hard to make a living doing stand-up. And you just kept doing it. So, like, the story ends today with, like, you just kept doing it and kept doing it and booked more shows and booked more shows as you kept going, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think that, I mean, there are a lot of ways to get booked, but most of it's just people knowing who you are and you, you, you have a, you build up a relationship with a number of people and they see you perform and they see you do well. Yeah. Like the people that you're performing next to are like, Oh, you were really funny. And then I, I feel like show. you guys always go get, dr- like, I feel like after the show, like you guys go in and go get drinks together and like kind of network sometimes. Some right. People, like, sure. I mean, they, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a really a drinker and I'm not much of a schmoozer, uh, when it comes to stand up. But you, you, if you become friends with people, you, you end up hanging out with them. Yeah. You write together. You go to mics together. You eventually, you know enough people like that you have buddies. Don't hate listening to yeah. you talk about your jokes that they'll listen to you do them three times a week, and you give each other notes. And that's part of that's part of the economy uh, of stand up is, is yeah. talking shop with other comics. Yeah, it's not better. competing like yeah. in the sense of like. I need to be good and you need to be bad because I need to be better than you. It can everybody be needs to, everybody yeah. rises up with the foam or whatever yeah. that expression is that I just made up. I don't, yeah, I think yeah. it's great. Cool. I'll use it tomorrow Thanks. at work. Um, how long is it? So a set can be anywhere from like, I mean, obviously like a, what we think of in like the A-list celebrity world is like an hour. Yep. But like <clears throat> a set can be 15. I feel like I've seen you do 15 minute mm-hmm. sets. When you do what it like, when you do like a bringer, is that like a 15 minute set? Is that five, a five? five? Five to eight. A bringer show is like five to eight. Five minutes. to eight. Yeah, depending on what they're offering you. And that's a long time when you really think about it. I mean, it, I mean, it's so, I mean, five minutes feels like torturously short to me at this point. But yeah. when you first but start, when you first start it's, it's like an eternity, time. right? Yeah, five minutes is a long time. Um, and uh, yeah, but that slowly starts to change. Again, as you get better at something and people identify that you've done these things, one of the things, like, like I think, you know, entertainment, I always say, is a very anecdotal world. Uh, I say that about TV all the time. Um, people have to, if people see that you've done certain things that look applicable to what they want, that makes you qualified. Better, yes. It's the same exact yeah. thing. So um, I performed a, a fair amount overseas in my short stand-up career, which I think has 
in some ways, I think I would like to think that people think that's cool enough that oh, maybe that shows that he's capable because yeah. I'd be terrified to do that. Um, and uh, and that's helped me show some sort of competency in stand up. Again, I think the optics matter. If you're getting booked a lot, people see that you're, see that you're working, you're a working, lot. Yeah. And you're doing it. And I mean, the same thing as any other. It's the same thing as anything else where you yep. give your resume and it's full of and it's full of stuff rather than like I've been at one company for one year right, for exactly. like or for like my whole life I've been at this one company. Totally. Like if you have like a full resume of all these different things that you've done, that's that's better than having one credit. Yep. Um, so yeah, like so ideally it snowballs, but there's peaks and valleys. There's like times where you yeah. get booked a lot, and there are times where I couldn't get booked for the life of me. Like I'd reach out to people. I try to be pretty proactive about, very politely. Like, listen, man, if you ever got any open spots coming up the next month know. or two, let me know. I'd love to. Obviously, love to do it. Uh, that is a workflow that I have have developed over the last six months, specifically to try to make sure I I'm getting some stage time, um, because it's I've been investing so much time into it lately that uh, I've feel and you know i feel that pressure in the same yeah. way that if it's your job you have that pressure i've made it my job for months at a time so i've created that sense of pressure to to get on stage as much as possible sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't you know i'm getting ready to go to europe to do a, a, a two and a half week stand-up tour in a few countries in europe and so i've been trying to get on stage as much as possible because i do longer sets there and so i'm and i'm trying to develop material both that works here and then that works there. You can cry, yeah. And it and it's uh and um and I'm trying to develop material specific to the countries I'm going to. So, um, it's a lot of material that I'm working on, and uh, I need to get up as much as possible because you can't just do it once. You got to do it five times, and then yeah. even then you may not know. Well, and then you're still like, what is this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's after doing it at mics for weeks. You know, it's it's a yeah. process. It's, it's a, a process. long yeah. process to develop a joke. One good thing, two to three minute joke can take months sometimes sometimes you just nail it and sometimes it takes a long time and usually it takes a long time and you get faster at it as time goes on you know as you get better at anything those time yeah and i feel like it's almost like music or like i don't want to say dance but like music or dance where it's like you rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it over and over and over and over and over again and then like it changes as it goes and it gets different and it and then the final product might not be what you uh, what you started with but it's like what the final product is and i mean there's jokes that i that i would had done i did two two years ago three years ago that um i still circulate back in and i've revamped them and i yeah. changed them and i've tightened them and i've made them funnier and i've yeah. built them with other jokes yeah but it's like that's only happened years. because of yep. years of of it being there and just playing with it and yeah. it becomes uh yeah that's 100 percent. it's 100 percent the case you're constantly developing and evolving and i have jokes that never didn't work but wouldn't work now because they're at a, they're not at the same level as the things that I feel like I'm yeah. doing now. They wouldn't mix with my voice and my set. So uh, it's a constant evolution. It's a really interesting process um, that I try to be very conscious of. What do you say to people? Like if someone is saying, no, you know what I want to ask you first? What it, would you tell yourself like today? What would you tell yourself like whenever you were first starting out, like when you were first like just like just started doing it, you had done it six times in a in a row. Like uh, what advice would you give to yourself? Uh, I don't know. I think I would probably just try to reassure my all of that self doubt. because uh, that still exists. You can still bomb I can I could I could bomb tomorrow and be like, I am not good enough at this thing to keep doing it. Yeah. I mean it happens all the time because it can be devastating 
to do poorly. I have jo- You know, you can have a joke that's getting an applause break three nights in a row and then just stops working for a week, and I don't know why. Yeah. Um, and that can be really hard to... An applause break is like they're clapping so loud that you can't keep going. You have to wait for them to be done. Yeah, it's exactly. It's yes. they're, they're, they're laughing so hard that they needed to create more sound with their hands. Uh, and uh, that's a nice feeling. Yeah. Oh, um, I feel like it's a great feeling. It's the, one of the best in the world. Yeah. Stand-up's just a drug. It's just a yeah. drug of applause. When it's like an adrenaline rush. It's yeah. like TV, some, like it, like pr- like be shooting television as well because it's like an adrenaline rush. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think I'd probably just reassure myself. Yeah, that, like that just stick with it. it you're, what, are, what you're doing is right. And I think I did it right when I started. I hit it, I hit it really hard uh, and I stayed with it. And uh, I think um, I would have maybe told my I would have been reassuring to myself and told myself to take more risks because sometimes you have an idea and you don't know why it's good or bad and you have to say it out loud to hear why it's bad and that's taking a bullet for your joke you know that's why like I said before you have to bomb you got to be ready to bomb to get better and I still um wish I maybe five percent more was willing to bomb i'm always gonna wish that i think i think it's yeah. just natural but i i, I would push myself to to bomb a little bit harder i feel like there's a theme of like you might not know what you're doing but like that's okay like or you might not this might not be comfortable or this might not be right like you might not you might be just like like blind leading the blind into this but like there's nothing wrong with that and like that's kind of yeah i mean i think the politics of the of the room also matter like part of the reason you don't want to just bomb every time to learn more about yourself as a comic is because if there's bookers and people, if there's comics in the room that produce bar shows, if they all they do is see you bomb miserably, then they're never going to book, book you, you because you can't make anybody laugh in a in a in an open mic. And so, uh, I think that all has to be tempered with the politics of of mm-hmm. the room and, and knowing when it's worth taking those swings and not, um, which is just something you learn over time. Um, you know, there it's like I was saying before, as you grow. Bar shows become one of your open mic venues where you test out new stuff, and then if you keep going, you, you're doing your A game at clubs, and sometimes I'll sometimes I'll uh, try new stuff at clubs because I have an opportunity to. And um, but it's all tempered with the fact that like I'm not trying something new unless the set's going well because I need the people in that club to see me doing well. Yeah. Um. So like you have to have enough. You got to have the moves. Like you got to develop your arsenal of, of performing. You got to know how to get yourself out of a hole. You got to have jokes in mind. You got to have bomb lines. Like an ace, in the, an ace in the hole 100%. to be like, this is funny. Yep. 100%. Which I feel like you hear all the time at comments being like, this will make you laugh. Yeah. Like, cause they're like, oh fuck, I lost the room. So yeah, I need to like, it's, yeah. You gotta, you read that and you have moves for it. You know, there's yeah. something literally a bomb line is literally a line you write for a specific joke or any joke uh, that, that, that wins them back. So like when I was in Europe last August, uh, my, <clears throat> my bomb line, everybody wanted to hear about Trump. You know, this is the election yeah, still yeah, going yeah. on. It's August. And I wasn't talking about him at first. And I really, I rarely did. I only had two jokes about him because I didn't really want to. Yeah, but, like I feel like. Uh, uh. But my bomb line was this: this, uh, um, this doesn't actually have to. You guys didn't like that one. This doesn't have to go well for me, though. It's fine because uh, I'm just here to spend all my money before Trump puts his face on it. And that was my bomb line, yeah. not delivered in the comedic sense in this particular moment. But that was the joke: was I'm just here because because like, like, he's, cause like YOLO, like yeah, yeah. he's <laughs> gonna put his fucking he's gonna Trump Tower the entire United States. And that line 
killed yeah. every time because it was a pivot out of something not going well and it was making fun of the thing that they were all wondering what I was thinking on that subject. They all wanted to hear my opinion and uh, and it worked perfectly. And that was a line that I could use anywhere were, in that set. Yeah. And if I was doing great in the set, I would still throw that in there. This is going great, but you know it doesn't even matter. I'm just here to spend all my money. I would just throw it in there and then I would do one more Trump joke and then I would just move on. And so it became a, a bomb line is there to rescue you, but it could also become a part of your set. Yeah. Um, so every type of joke you write and every move you learn helps develop your ability to maneuver on stage and helps develop your set. And I think it's all important. What would you say to people like people that are going to th- listen to this that are going to say, I want to I want to be a stand up comedian, but I don't know where to start or I don't know what to do. I feel like I mean, even though you have kind of mapped out the way that you you did it like what are like what are like at least three good really solid tips that you would give people of like this is what you need to do um i mean everybody's needs are different because everybody approaches it their creative pursuits differently but i think um wherever you live look up the open mic schedule first things first know what your options are so if there's only a mic on friday nights then plan a friday night to go um uh but that's second i think first is start writing jokes uh, write jokes and then say them out loud to yourself. Hold a brush or hold yeah, like a, 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 a comb, like a comb yeah, in your, yeah, like you do a, if you're singing Britney Spears in the mirror eggplant. in the morning. Whatever you got. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. People grocery shop yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Um, so whatever it is, say the joke out loud and then does it sound funny? Do you think people would laugh at it that aren't you? Why or why not? Does it make sense we say it out loud? Write jokes. You gotta, you gotta, it, like, write, write them down. Like, get a, get like a, a notebook and like write them in a notebook. I have comic friends that have been doing this for a couple of years and that are tenacious and they're smart and they, uh, they do all of the right stuff in terms of trying to position themselves for success. But they always say to me, man, writing, writing's the part I just can't create a routine for. And I'm like, well, what do you, that's everything else. The whole point matter. of the thing, yeah. You gotta, you gotta wake up every day and write for two hours. If you don't have two hours, write for half an hour. Make a routine of writing. And try to figure out what's interesting to you to be funny about. Because, like, the other thing is, you know, everybody talks about joke stealing in the comedy community, which is a cardinal sin. You, know, you should never, ever, obviously, ever do it. Um, but people also say, if you're writing a joke that's so specific to you and unique to you, people can't steal it. And that's a safety valve for getting robbed. And it's also part of developing your own voice, yeah. which they say takes years. They say correctly, it takes years. Um, it takes a long time to figure out what your comedy voice is. Uh, but it starts with sitting down and writing and trying it. So you got to start by writing. Uh, and then you got to figure out how you can get on stage. And then you have to get on stage and be prepared for it to go as well or poorly as it humanly possible. And then you got to be willing to listen to that recording back and figure out why. Repeat. Yeah. Do you think that doing that class helped you? Like helped you learn the routine or at least like helped you? It did help me because I got instant feedback. I got yeah. verbal feedback. Okay. I didn't just get like someone laughed or they did silence. Didn't. Right. Yeah. I they would I would hear why they weren't laughing and I would hear what they liked about me and that was really important. It was a very subtle thing, but to hear someone say, "I I really like you on stage. Like you have a when you talk about this, you're very comfortable, you're very likable, you're very whatever the comp, whatever the comments were that were positive, even if they were a reach and you can usually yeah, and tell. You were like, mm. Be self-aware. That's probably the most important thing is yeah. you got to understand who you are and how people perceive you. Um that was very important to me at that time because it's a very, you know, again, three laughs was a win in five minutes. If I only got three laughs in a five-minute set right, right now, I would be 
Devastated. I would yeah. stop doing the set and I would start asking the room why. Yeah. You know, but as a com as a as a comic at where I'm at, that's something that I will do because crowd work matter it's something that i'm playing with is like going off book and i i don't structure the way i used to it but anyways yeah you have to figure out why yeah they didn't laugh and it, it's uh i don't know i lost my train of thought no but like yeah yeah it was the instant feedback was good yes yeah what about i went i went i went all sorts of tangents on that one didn't no it's I? fine no you answered the question goddamn right i did yeah what um <laughs> I mean, what what are you? How do you see? Where do you foresee like comedy going? Like stand up comedy? It's. I feel like it's very. I was. We were talking before we started recording, and I feel like there's like there's so many. It's so. It's more present than it has ever been, especially with things like Netflix and like these other now new mediums where like someone can do a Netflix special and I can watch it. Like I can go back and watch a bunch of old ones that they've done, and yep. there's also like more opportunity, and it's not. It's easier. I feel like I don't want to say it's easier to get like a special or anything like that, That's but tough. like it's it's there's more there's more mediums to to do through it and and there's more of a a a want a uh, a desire for it than before i feel like at least maybe yeah um and now you're seeing i mean this always used to be i mean it was this way before but you see these people like get kind of famous then they get like really famous then they have like specials and then they're like doing like huge blockbuster movies and it's like you're watching all these people ascend so quickly um do you feel that that's going to continue? Like, how do you feel for the the community going forward? I mean, I think that I think it was in the '90s where there was a big stand-up comedy bust, where mm-hmm. a lot of clubs shut down in the city, and uh, you know, as an industry, it kind of peaked, and then people lost interest. And, you know, it was kind of a fad. I think it's it's way more tied into kind of the zeitgeist of America right now, um, because as a country, everything we do is entertainment. And all we do as a country, as we develop and make make more aspects of our society, forms of entertainment. I mean, I think politics are the obvious example right now. If you look at our entertainer in chief, it's very clear that we have accepted entertainment more and more as part of our culture as Americans. Um, so I don't think it's going to crash in the way that maybe it did back then uh, when stand up, uh, when clubs started shutting down. But I do think that you know, I think Netflix is releasing a comedy special every week for 2017. I think that we are going to be oversaturated with stand-up, and I think that it will dip. Like, I think right now there's still a demand for stand-up comics, but I think we will see a dip. Um, I don't know who will replace them, whether it's, not, whether it's YouTube stars or yeah. or Snapchat whores or Vine suicides. I'm not sure. I don't know what the, yeah. the, the, the next thing would be. Um, but I don't think comedy is going anywhere. But I think stand-up uh, is in a golden era at the moment. I don't know. I find it hard I know, to believe. But I feel like I'm like I. Where's the? New, I want new ones every t- all the time. I feel like I'd watch really? it once a week. Uh, I'm happy to hear that. That sounds good to me. I uh, love a good like. Sometimes my friend and I like one of my friends doesn't really watch that much TV, so I can't be like, oh, let's like throw on this like series. But we'll always watch like a stand up and be like talking and like you know like we'll be doing something, but in the background will be the stand up. We'll be laughing and like watching it as we're like building our friendship. This is why we're friends. Conversation. You and me, Chris, because like, you're every type of person I want the whole world to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I love, I love stand up though. I love yeah. watching stand ups, even like on my TV at home, nice. like not even in person. <laughs> like, um, do you? What? I mean, any final thoughts? Like anything? Anything else about stand up comedy that you really like? Enjoy anything you really enjoy about it? Anything that like makes it all worthwhile? Um, I mean, I think that what's where my head's been at in the last couple months is has uh, been very academic. When it comes to stand-up, uh, there's a uh, a Danish anthropologist who's a professor of anthropology uh, in Denmark who's 
who I met his colleague last summer and when I was performing in Finland, and she put us in touch. And he's living in New York on a grant from his university to write a book about why stand-up comedy is the, a modern form of anthropology and why stand-up comics can uh, say what society is uh, in a more concise and oh, funnier that's way. very interesting. It's, it's wow. fascinating. Wow. So I've been, I've been uh, introducing to him everyone I know. We've been show hopping together. He started doing open mics to experience... The, the that's amazing wow so we've been we've spent a lot of time together he's a great guy I, he's loved he's having a blast and he's learning a lot he's it's really a pleasure and as someone that likes to speak academically about this it's really fun to like get into it with him um so my in my head is very much i'm very interested in 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 that kind of perspective on stand like what is the value of stand-up beyond making people laugh uh, and to that effect um you know, we've talked about this before, but I, I went to South Africa two years ago where I performed and I interviewed all the top comics short of Trevor Noah um, to try to understand how they dealt with um, the, their his- modern history of apartheid and what yeah. post-apartheid South Africa is, their race issues, and how they deal with that in comedy, how that reflects back on them as a society and where they're at. And I'm now turning those interviews into a podcast. Um, and I'm as I go back to Europe, I'm going to interview more comics um, along those lines of how they deal with social conflict, uh, how that reflects back on an audience in terms of how they respond to it and what that means as a society. And then how can I, Justin Herman, make those same jokes about about touchy subjects and can I get away with it? And so that's something I'm really interested in exploring is understanding culture through comedy, uh, both within a country in their own comics and then as an outsider going to them yeah. and... Uh, telling them how what i see and what it's like as an american or, or as justin herman uh as a straight white american jew from new york um what does the country look like and why is that interesting or not and how they respond um and that's what i'm really interested in in, in growing in and as a travel show producer writing you know sound bites to yeah explain it's very in your vein it's, it's very, my, yes for sure and so that's something i do when i perform overseas i always like to write about the places that i go because i just think that they don't get that that much they don't get americans and outsiders coming there and trying to talk about them in some way um so to me uh that's where i'm trying to evolve more towards which is um uh developing that ability and those opportunities to keep doing that so i can both meet other comics learn about countries through their comedians and then go there and see if i can make them laugh that's really cool thanks pal and you're leaving like you're gonna be this might air and you might still be in europe i may be yeah i may be um any final thoughts Man, I feel like that was a really big final thought, and I should say something stupid to just take yeah. down the, yes, the headiness. That's why I asked. Uh, is it fun? Is it worth? Is it worth it? Oof. Maybe uh, not. Is I, that a big question? I mean, it, it's certainly a question. If you're not asking yourself that question, I feel like you're not being honest about the failures. Yeah. Stand up. Um, but for me, it's worth it. Uh, for me, it's definitely worth it. I it's made me a better writer, which was the first goal at the beginning. Yes, I see uh, act, active progress. Um, it's uh, it's opened up my ability to tell my own stories, um, to talk about myself and and my um, identity and my and better understand myself. And I think that alone has made it worth it. Um, if it keeps allowing me the opportunity to travel and meet people through an interesting creative medium that people enjoy and make people laugh, then it will never not be worth it.
Except when I bomb. And like, you know, I mean, you're a vain person just like I am. And so like, it's always great whenever people laugh at your jokes. Please keep laughing. Yeah. Never stop. I mean, I will. Thank you. I will. And I'm loud. I so. was speaking to the audience yeah, as a whole. No. Yeah. But also okay. you're included. <laughs> no, in but that. me. But like, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. you're talking about me because <laughs> I can see it. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing. Um, where can people find you on the internet if they want to either see what you look like and or stalk you or if they want to come to one of your shows where can they go uh you can you can find it all uh, at my website it's justin herman comedy.com uh justin spelled herman, normal like, yeah just everything spelled, spelled just normal h-e-r-m-a-n yeah it. uh you can see i haven't updated my, my my upcoming five most upcoming shows uh are, are posted in, in the show section it's a bio and there's pictures and there's some video stuff it's a it's a producer stand-up comic hybrid website hybrid. um but you can see where my shows are you can you can i tweet often uh and comedically so you can see link to my twitter there my instagram there my everything's there facebook fan page so that's your one-stop shop perfect yeah again thank you so much for sharing Thanks your story and if everyone um if you want to be on loud and curious you can send me an email it is at chris at loud and com, and um you can always follow me at the Krista rosa um or you can follow the show at loud and curious uh thank you so much again justin thanks buddy this episode of loud and curious was produced by me krista rosa my cover art photo and all the photos on my website were taken by Alyssa timoteo cover art graphics and photo editing by chris moore the boys from remember jones wrote and performed my theme music like them on facebook and instagram at remember jones Next time on Loud and Curious. Yeah. Barely need water. But the days I did need food, I was known to order chicken wings. I already laughed. Um, and eat them in my pullout bed <laughs> while in bed, maybe watching something on my iPad because I didn't have a TV. <laughs> And so I would eat chicken wings in my bed. Like off of your chest. Oh, completely. Yeah. Like dirty, really messy chicken wings (laughs) off my bed, like off my stomach in bed. (laughs) And I would think this is both the best thing I've ever ever done (laughs) and rock bottom at the same exact time. You know, and that's life, baby. Yes. (laughs)